really you could say that the, the reason behind everything we do is worship. We, everything we do is to worship God for the worship to God, even mission. John Piper has a saying that mission exists because worship doesn't. We engage in mission to create and to bring more worshipers to the Father. Um, so we started with worship, or we started with worship, and we moved on to spiritual formation, the role of the church to, as a triage to build people up, to teach them uh, the love of Christ for them, for us, and to prepare them then to send them back out into mission to bring in more worshipers uh, so that we can disciple them and raise them up and triage, create them to be missionaries, and then send them out and over and over again. So our, our whole church is organized around those three circles, worship, spiritual formation, mission, repeat. And so today, the third sermon in this series is that last section of the path or the, the, uh, the, the foundations of discipleship, which is mission. We're going to talk about uh, today uh, Matthew Matthew 28, 18 through 20, super familiar passage. I think I've preached this passage like three times. I think this is my third time preaching this now. Uh, and we could really, we could preach this at the beginning of every year just as a reminder that the church actually has a mission. God, Christ, Jesus has given us a mission, something to do, which is make disciples. Uh, and so we've, so now every other year as a church, we've preached this at the beginning of the year. We could do it every year because it's so clear what God has commanded us to do, to go out into the world on a search and rescue mission to find God's people and bring them into God's family. So, uh, so that we can then teach them and then send them back out to do the same. So we're going to talk all about that today. Would you please, if you are able, stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Let's read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Please be seated. Uh, most of you know, at least ResPres people know my story, that I was rescued out of om almost complete destruction. <laughs> Amen? Uh, for those of you who know me, there's a lot of people in this room who knew me back then. God literally saved me at the point of death, out of complete destruction. Uh, and, and, and when it happened, there was no mistaking in my mind what had occurred. I didn't think that I had pulled myself out. I didn't think that I had like changed some behaviors. I knew for a fact that it was God and the power of God who had like reached down into the scrap heap of life and pulled me out of that absolute destruction. And even though, even though I knew that, maybe for the first year after that, <clears throat> this was my daily prayer in the morning. I would pray this. I would pray, God, I thank you for saving me, and I am so willing to believe anything about you that's true. Please just don't let it be Christianity. Amen. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that was my sincere and honest prayer every morning. I knew God. I knew he was beautiful. I knew that he had saved me, and I was willing to do anything that he had asked of me except 
that. <laughs> Why? Why did I pray that prayer? I didn't know much at that time, but I knew from the outside looking in that Christianity was going to make demands on my life. It was going to ask me to give up things that I thought were absolutely necessary for my survival. Now, come to find out, obviously, later, a decade later, more than a decade later, that those were the very things that were destroying me. But at the time, I didn't know that. And so, why would I choose? Why would I willingly choose Christianity? Why would anyone, anyone willingly choose Christianity, considering all the spiritual paths that are out there on the smorgasbord of spiritual, or the spiritual buffet of life? All the spiritual paths that, for, uh, that, uh, that actually will increase your standing and reputation in the world. All the spiritual paths that will increase your social clout. All the spiritual paths that won't restrict your natural appetites or your sexuality in any, any way. That won't expect you to live modestly and give a good percentage of your money to the church or to charity. And not only that, but all of, um, not to mention... Christian heresy. How does the average person discern between Christianity and Mormonism? Especially when Mormonism has oftentimes a better sense of community, a better sense of family value, a better sense of morality. They take care of their people better than the church does. How does the average person discern between Christianity and liberal mainline Protestantism that will co-sign any desire that you have? Why would anyone <clears throat> ever choose Christianity? And the reason and the answer to that is they wouldn't. No one, no one would. No one chooses Christianity. The only reason anybody ever does, ever, the only reason anyone ever is able to walk through that minefield of ideological chaos and land into the truth is because God in his power, saves us, brings us into the knowledge of who he is, and brings us to a safe place. And so, the, when we freak out about, or get upset, or stressed out about evangelism or mission, uh, it's not just because it's hard, it's because it's impossible. <laughs> you can't do it. We can't do it. The only way it can ever happen is if the power of God is working through us, which actually is great news because it takes a lot of pressure off, takes a lot of stress off, knowing that the only reason anyone ever comes to faith is because God has worked a miracle through us and brought a dead person to life. Uh, and so that's why this passage is one of the most encouraging passages of all the New Testament because it says exactly that. It says that the power, all the power and authority of Jesus is with us and goes before us as he calls us to do these things. And so the big idea, what we're going to talk about today in this passage, uh, is that our mission is, yes, it's outward focused. The church is primarily to be outward focused on the world. But our mission is to go out in all of the authority and power of Christ to bring dead people to life and then teach them to do the same. That's what we're doing here. And it's a good thing, at the beginning of every year, to remember that. That's our primary purpose. So let's look at that 
one part at a time. First, our mission is to go out with all the authority of Christ. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then at the tail end he closes out, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So when we think about mission, the first thing we got to think of is that we are doing it in the authority of Christ with Jesus. He is with us. That word authority, uh, it's a little misleading. I think authority, I think the cops or the government, right? Where you may be able to like, you know, you may be able to get away with some things. But that in the word, it really means total control and power to bring about his desired result so that he sets his sights on somebody they're going to be saved and so that's our basic reality when we go out in mission when we go out in evangelism we are going out knowing that the total power and control of Jesus is with us making this stuff happen behind the scenes example here's an example in the New Testament Paul goes to the Apostle Paul he goes to the city of Athens like the capital of philosophy of the world at that time, uh, and miraculously, right off the bat, just that he gets invited to address the College of Philosophers in Athens. That he's even there in the first place, this crazy work of God, right? Uh, but listen, he tells, so he preaches, basically preaches the gospel to them, preaches the resurrection of the dead. And here, I want to read just the last couple of verses, because this is what is important for us to understand. He's in front of a tough crowd, Right? Uh, these are the public intellectuals of the day. And Paul is basically nobody. And it says, uh, it says, Then, now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, this is Acts 17, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Here's what I want you to see in that passage. You see what's happening? In that last tail end after Paul preaches this thing, there's three groups of people. There's first, there's the mockers. There's the mockers. And the reality is, there's always going to be mockers no matter who you are. This is Paul, right? Paul the Apostle. If anybody was able to preach the gospel uh, to, with the full knowledge of the gospel to a fresh audience, it was Paul the Apostle, and still people mocked him. So no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what you know, there's going to be mockers. You can get a Master of Divinity. You can get a PhD in theology. There's still going to be mockers, no matter what. At first, you may be baby Christian and you're afraid to share your faith because you're like, oh, I'm worried. Uh, what are they asking me about miracles? What are they asking me about the virgin birth? What are they asking me about, you know, what, you know these hard questions? And it, that never ends because you get your PhD and you're thinking, what if people ask me about textual variant inconsistencies in the 12th century manuscripts? It never, ever goes away. There's always going to be mockers. That's the point. Uh, but let's think about, think about that. Truth is, 
truth is, I share the gospel a lot. And I have been challenged to my faith, respectfully. I've been ridiculed and mocked behind my back. But it's been pretty rare when someone just kind of outright just like mocks me to my face. It's been a very rare occurrence. And yet, even though it's super rare, I am still absolutely terrified of being mocked every time I think about sharing the faith. Still scares me to death. So, realities. There's always going to be mockers. But the point of this passage, what the encouraging thing is, is that there are two other groups of people here. There's not just mockers. There's thinkers and there's believers. Some of the people were like, all right, I'm going to think about that. Let me hear it again. And some of the people believed right on the spot. Why did they believe right on the spot? Because Paul was so eloquent? Because he knew the gospel inside and out? No, because the power and authority of Christ was working behind the scenes to bring the people to life that God had called. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what happened there. All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's what happened there. The Father has given the Son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom the Father had given to him. And in that day, the Father had given to him Dionysus the Areopagite. Areopagite. And this woman and these other people. Which means, listen to what that means. It means that God guarantees our results. Maybe big, maybe small, but it's not on us. It's not on our power, it's not on our eloquence, it's not on our rhetorical skill, it's not on our knowledge of theology. After years and years of theological education and years in the pastorate, more every day I come to realize and understand the beauty of being able to simply explain the gospel to somebody and let the Holy Spirit do their thing. Because I have engaged in detailed arguments all the way down to the minutiae and had people mock and walk away. (laughs) And also had times when I just simply shared, you know, Jesus died for your sins and offers you salvation and eternal life with God and people came to life. Why? It wasn't me. It was the authority of Jesus with me bringing life to the dead. And God guarantees guarantees that's going to happen. So what that means is what that means is that we allow the fear of the mocker to keep us away from the thinkers and the believers. I got a friend, I had a friend who was a Navy SEAL years ago. He told this I relate to this, but he told me, he's like, talking about knife fighting, he's like, the first thing about you need to know about knife fighting is you're going to get cut. <laughs> and once you get over that fact, then you can be confident in that engagement, right? Same thing with, with, with boxing, with, with martial arts. You are going to get hit in the face. Once you get over that fact that that's just a part of that reality, then you can engage in that discipline. We need to just get, get come to grips with the fact that we're going to get mocked. We're not here to not be mocked. Christ did not save us to be 
friends with the world, to be respectable. He didn't save us to be uh, to have political power. He did not save us to have social respectability. He saved us to be channels of divine power into the world. And in the process of that, we're going to be mocked, we're going to be ridiculed, and we're going to see dead people come to life. And that's the second point. Our mission is to bring dead people to life. There's this guy, uh, this, he's a, a, a biomedical gerontologist. That means he studies aging, basically. He's a genetic scientist who studies uh, uh, aging and, and the disease of aging. What's interesting about this guy's name is Aubrey de Grey. Uh, I follow him. Whenever I see an article by him, I stop and read it. And one of the, he, what his thing is, is he believes that he is going to cure death. He is going to overcome death as an illness, that through, that through uh, our ability to process junk DNA, DNA and, and, and these cells that collect over time, that we're going to learn how to like, control cellular degeneration to the point where eternal life will be a reality for people. He says crazy stuff, publicity stuff, like the, per- the first person who's going to live to be a thousand years old is alive now. I love this guy because he's kind of crazy like that. And I love crazy guys. So I always listen, I always read him. It's fun. What's funny, ironically, I just saw an article of him yesterday, uh, and I've been following him for about 10 years. Is this, he's got a ton more gray hair now than he did 10 years ago. So he's still, uh, he's still working on it. But imagine, listen, the cure to death. The cure to death. People buy this so hard that Silicon Valley tech moguls are dumping billions of dollars into this. Uh, the guy, co-founder of PayPal, Mark Zuckerberg, all these guys donating billions of dollars into this. Why? Because they got billions of dollars and they're getting older. So they got a vested interest in becoming immortal. Think about that. The power over death. Sometimes we play the game of who has, uh, who, what superpower would you pick? Would you be Iron Man? Would you be the Hulk? Would you be Black Widow? Would you have, be able to fly? Would you be able to read minds? Would you be able to manipulate time? Uh, all these superpowers. But imagine if you had the power over death. That you could raise the dead. That you could go to a graveyard and empty it. That you could bring people's loved ones back and reunite them from the dead. Imagine if you had the superpower of bringing dead people to life. Reality. That's the power that we have. That's why we go out. Listen. Verse 19, second half of verse 19. Or, no, Jesus says, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what are we accomplishing through mission? We're baptizing people. And what does baptism mean? The imagery behind baptism is, 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 is multifaceted. Sometimes Baptism is, is portrayed as the sprinkling of blood, cleansing from sin. Sometimes it's portrayed as the pouring of water, washing away sin. Sometimes it's, it's portrayed as being immersed. And that's my favorite one, really. In seminary, 
one of the most mind-blowing things that I learned was that when we baptize, when we go under the water and we come out of the water, it's a picture of, in the ancient world, water was thought about as chaos and death. And so when a person went into that water, it was like going into death. And when they brought back out again, it was like they were being resurrected again to new life. Think about the flood. Noah and his family, they, 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 get, they get sheltered in the ark and saved through the chaos waters of death. People of Israel coming out of Egypt. Lord parts the chaos waters of death and they pass through safely and the Egyptians are all killed, right? Baptism, uh, all, both of those things are given as pictures of baptism in the New Testament that when we are baptized, it is symbolic, it is a symbol, an imagery of a reality, a spiritual reality beyond our ability to see or process. And that reality is that we have been, by God's power, given life, united to Jesus such a way that when he died, we died with him. And when, he was in, when he was placed in the grave, we went through death with him. When he was resurrected from the dead, we were brought up from chaos, from death, from the waters into new life, never to ever die again. It's not that people are spiritually sick. Some organizations say that. You have, you're spiritually sick. Bible says you are spiritually dead. You have physical life, bios. But we are, people are devoid of spirit life, which is a higher order of life, which is why people mock. They're spiritually dead, cannot see the reality. Uh, but God gives life. And he gives life through the preaching of the gospel, through going out, through mission. And baptism is then a sign and a seal of the reality that we are united with Jesus in his resurrection. That we have been brought from out of death and into a higher order of life. And that that is our reality. That is what Jesus has done. And so that first thing we need to think about is that that's our reality, that's true of us, for everyone who claims Jesus, for everyone who has been born again in the Spirit, that is our reality. We have been brought out of death and into life. Uh, and so, in a big way, listen, mission, when we think about mission, in a big way, mission is God's call upon us to go out and give what has been given to us to take the spirit that we have been given and to go out into the world as God's agents so that he can then work through us bringing life to his people. Search and rescue mission. There's this passage, those of you who know me probably heard me say this before, there's a passage in, in Daniel, in Daniel 12, where he talks about says this, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. It's this picture of what we're doing here in life, the most, the most important, most wonderful thing that we can be engaged in is collecting stars 
for the heavenly realms. It's metaphorical, right? It's not really stars, but it's saying like stars. It's not just saying that we will shine like stars, but that in, the, in, in mission, in evangelism, as we engage in this, what we're doing is we're bringing this message, we're bringing life to other people, and then in, in the afterlife, in the new heavens, in the new creation, we'll know that these bright, shining, luminous beings that God used us in some way to bring them into this reality, and that will be the most beautiful and wonderful thing that we could ever do, that we could ever think of, to bring people into the family of God. And the best part is, the best part is we do it together. We do it together. Mission, just like sanctification is a team sport, mission and evangelism is also a team sport. Jesus said, or in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the last part is that our mission is to then teach people to go out and do the same. Our mission is to go out in all the authority of Christ. Our mission is to bring dead people to life. And then our mission is to then teach them to go out and do the same. I have, uh, in seminary, I had a professor once talk about, um, talk about the unifying principle behind the whole non-denominational movement was theological minimalism. In other words, uh, the value and the purpose was let's, since we all, so many people fight about doctrine, such it splits churches apart, let's come up with just the basics of the faith that everyone can agree upon that we won't fight on and that will be the sum of our theology that we teach people. And there's some wisdom in that. There's some good, there's some good wisdom in that. We can, we can take the, really the non-essentials and put them at a level of this is where we all agree on, this is what we teach. Uh, but the problem is that, that what, the point he was trying to make is that that doesn't completely honor what Jesus has called us to do. He said, teach them all that I have commanded you. It was a call to have broader confessions, to have more detailed confessions of faith so that all the, all the questions in between those sure uh, pillars of theology are also answered when we want to dig a little bit deeper. And that's wise to do that, too. But the problem is, here's a problem with, and I'm, and I'm going to talk about us now, our tradition, is that we hear that, and so then we go on and we develop this robust system of doctrine uh, and we teach it, check. We develop this robust system of worship and we teach it, check. Uh, robust theology of the church. What's the church supposed to do and be? Check that box. We even will develop a robust theology of mission. But there's another command in here. It's not just teach, but also observe, which means do. Not just think about it, not just talk about it, but be about it. To do what Christ has commanded us to do. And what is the, there's actually a command right here in this passage where he says that, and the command is, go out and make disciples. That's what's so scary. We're not called to just sit in here and talk about it. 
We're called to actually go out and do it, and that's when it gets so scary. So how do we do that? How do we go about doing that? How do we teach people to go to do that? And how do we encourage people to do that? And my favorite part, when I watch NASCAR on TV, which is rare, Formula One, stuff like that, uh, my favorite part of those things, other than the crashes, of course, is the, is the pit stop. When the car comes in screeching to a halt, uh, and they change the tires, they, give it, they fill the gas tank, they change the oil, they check... Uh, you know, they check all these things on the car. They got the guy with the stick that hands the driver a cup of water through the window. They wash the windshield. All of that in like five seconds. This whole team of people just shows up almost out of nowhere, does all this work on the car, boom, and he's gone. In five seconds, all that happens. All of those people working together uh, to make that car run. The pit crew. Right? And even the pit crew gets their moment of glory on TV, right? Because there's guys like me waiting to watch them. I don't know who they are, but it's still part of the show. Even behind the pit crew, there's a whole army of mechanics and assistants and truck drivers uh, and communications people and admins and everybody behind the scenes that's working to make this race car able to race in the event. And everybody looks at the driver. But imagine the driver if he had to do all that by himself. The driver runs into the pits, has to jump out of the car, change the tires, fill up the gas, change the oil, wash the windshield, get his own cup of water, check all the vitals of the car. He'd be in there for like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then he would lose the race. The driver's not the most important. What's important is the whole team that's working together to make that car run the race and that's what the church is like when we think about mission when we think about preaching the gospel everybody focuses on the speaker on the pastor on the evangelist but it's a team effort we're all in it together and in our church we've broken it down into inside mission outside mission this is our church is a mission like literally literally we're a mission work of South Coast Presbytery, the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, we are a mission work because we're kind of like an outpost church, right? And so part of mission evangelism for us is making this happen in the morning so that visitors can come. So that we invite our friends. There's a church that people can come to and hear the gospel. Uh, and there's over, th- it takes over 30 people every week to make this happen. People that you never see, people that you would never know, uh, and so if you're not, like, super stoked about going out and, like, talking to people about Jesus, strangers and whatnot, if that's really not your thing, you can still be on the pit crew. You can still serve in the, acts, in the, in the work of mission of the church by being part of the production team, helping to set up in the morning, being in hospitality, helping to get coffee, being on the prayer team that meets before service, helping set up the communion, taking the offering, being on security, changing the slides, uh, helping with the tech stuff, being involved in kingdom kids. That's frontline ministry, really. Teaching kids about Jesus and preaching the gospel to them, that's straight-up discipleship. That's straight-up mission. We're teaching our kids and visiting kids about Jesus. Super important. Everybody, anybody can be part of that. And if you are more evangelistic in your heart, God's given you some of those gifts, you can work outside. You can be part of our outside events. You can be part of 
our media ministry, present, bringing the gospel through social media as a way to bring people into community. Uh, on our outreach teams, you can help put together our concerts and art shows that we do as a church. You can start a Bible study at a college or somewhere, or you can throw house parties and invite friends. You can be part of our ladle ministry and serve the homeless community, and in the midst of it, you share in Jesus with them. And be crazy encouraged as you do it. All of those things, all of those are part of mission, of evangelism. And on top of that, God's also given, put each and every one of us in a network of people. So, you know, I used to, honestly, I stayed away from Christianity for years because I was convinced. Because I went, one day I went down to Mission Beach, I'm hanging out in Mission Beach, this clown comes out, it's juggling, making a big scene, people gathered around this clown, and then out of nowhere, here comes Jesus covered in blood, carrying this giant, scraping this giant cross down the boardwalk. And I knew if I became a Christian, God was going to make me do that. And I was never going to do that. Never going to do that. <laughs> um, but that's not... I believe in network evangelism. I mean, you've got friends, you've got co-workers, you've got people you know, all of whom are spiritually dead. And all it takes is, is incremental conversations, just throwing something in the conversation spiritual and see how they react. Oh, I got to go. This guy did it to me the other day. He's like, oh, I got to go take my kids to youth group. I was like, ding, ding, ding. I was like, youth group? Where? <laughs> oh, I go to Nazarene Church in Mission Valley. Blah, blah, blah. We started talking. He's evangelizing me, right? And I go, well, actually, I'm a pastor downtown. But I do the same thing. I'm like, so a guy, my, you know, I was talking to a pilot at my gym the other day. Navy pilot, and I'm like, yeah, I got in my church. He's a, a, a pilot on reserves, and blah blah blah. I got this connection with him. Threw it in at my church, you know. And the guy to see if he did anything. He didn't do anything. He flatlined, so I stopped. <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't want to red light, right? You go, guy at my church is a pilot on reserve. Flatline. Did you hear my church? Did you hear what I said? You don't want to push it. But what we're looking is signs. You're looking for signs of life. You're looking for what the Holy Spirit is doing. You're not twisting arms. You're not getting people into headlocks. Say the prayer. Say the prayer. <laughs> no. Just engaging in spiritual conversations. Real simple. Yeah, I was doing something at my church. Oh, I have to go and serve homeless. Blah, blah, blah. See, listen for responses, and then incrementally Engage in those conversations. When people respond, you take it in. They ask you a crazy question you don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but my pastor does. Why don't you come to church on Sunday? Easy breezy. Leave it up to God. Maybe you'll say, go to my church, and he'll say, church? Or she'll say, church? What kind of an idiot are you? And they'll mock you. So what? So what? You don't belong to this world. You don't belong to this world. We belong to the world above. Let's engage in the mission of the world above. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the beauty of your word and the preciousness of it. And that you encourage us 
But we're so afraid, Lord, someone's going to make fun of us. And we forget that you were spit upon, that you were whipped, that your beard was ripped out of your face, that you were mocked, you were ridiculed, you were called uh, out of a child born out of wedlock, insults, everything was hurled at you. And you responded with love because you knew who you are, you knew what you were doing, and we can know the same thing. We can know who we are. We are not in the world. We do not belong to this world. We have been given a, an inheritance of, of, of a new heavens and a new earth beyond our wildest imagination. And we can know that that's who we are and we can go about the business that you've given us to do no matter what happens, no matter if we get mocked, no matter if we get arrested, no matter if we get all of our earthly possessions taken away, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're faithful to what you've called us to do. So the reality for us, Lord, is that we may be ridiculed a little bit. We pray, help us to just come to grips with that and not trip on it. Help us to start those incremental conversations with everyone we know looking for signs of life and help us, Lord, to invest in the life of our church, to work to make this church happen to be here as an outpost of the gospel so that people would come, hear your word, and be brought from death and into life, that we may glory in that, that we may be astonished that that is the privilege that we have as your children. That we are channels of divine power called to bring that power to bear in the world and that you will bring results. Help us to trust that. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe in the power of the gospel, to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and see what you do through us, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.